Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you'll be uplifted, empowered and revived by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now let's get into this week's message. Visiting, we have been on a series, and uh, we are in a series of Ram Church. It feels like we're always in a series. <laughs> we're always in a So we're in a series, and uh, it's basically um, a series about the Great Commission. And so I'm going to be building on that. We're wanting to interpret the Great Commission based on the lives of the people who heard it from Jesus first. Because it's one thing to just hear the Great Commission and have an idea of what it means, It's another thing to actually examine the lives of the people who lived with Jesus, who kind of had interaction with him, one-on-one interaction with him, and see how they worked it out. Um, Many people, like myself, sometimes I like to imagine what it would be like to live with Jesus, to see Jesus pray. Do you know Jesus prayed intensely? Hebrews talked about him praying with strong crying. (laughs) That's intense. So... Jesus was a man that was full of passion, full of power, incredible miracles. It would have been awesome to be around Jesus when he lived on earth. How many think that would have been pretty cool? Um, And do you realize as amazing as it is in our minds to think, wow, it it would have been amazing to be there. There were people that were there that had no idea how significant the moment was. So there were people that were around Jesus and they just didn't see him like we are seeing him today. And so the moment was not significant to them. Do you know we're repeating the same thing right now? Because we cannot sometimes be aware of the significance of the moment we are living in now. Because we're craving something that's happened in the past or only just thinking about what could happen in the future. Whereas God is actually doing things right now that if we will be sensitive to, we'll lean into it and there will be a, an intense response to his presence. Just like the disciples gave everything. I mean, that's a pretty radical response. Gave every, they just wanted to be with him and they sold everything. Some of them were cut into, you know, some of them died in crazy ways, crucified upside down, burnt out the stake. You don't just do that <laughs> for anyone. It has to be someone that has changed you in such a significant way and your whole life is now revolving around him. So I like to see and understand how they interpreted what Jesus said to them. So this is the Great Commission uh, in Matthew 28. Uh, 16 onwards, um, G- actually 18, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Last week, Joe, uh, Pastor Joe kicked us off uh, uh, speaking on the fight for our lives. And today, I want to look at that great commission in terms of how the disciples interpreted that in their lives. And one of the key things I want to focus on in terms of the outworking of that great commission for the disciples is waiting on God through prayer and fasting as a means to or as a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, 
the question we need to ask ourselves, what does it look like to fulfill the Great Commission? Listen to what Jesus says. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the starting point. He is declaring that everything is under his control, in a sense, under his authority. He's over all things. Everyone says over all things. Because he's over all things, he now commissions us who, was fo- who are his followers to go. Now, there are different ways you can look at that. And if you're an activist, you just want to get up and get going. Now, I don't know about you, but I am impatient sometimes. For example, the other day, you might be able to relate to this. I was, what, I was uh, reading a news item or something on the phone, and I came across this... Um, you know, when you read some news items, they have all these ads underneath sometimes. So I came, I've seen this ad several times, maybe over the last few years. I never thought to click on it. But this day I thought, you know what, I just want to click on it because it was a clickbait. And this is what it said. Horse, the horse, uh, horse refuses to give birth. When the vet sees the ultrasound, he calls the police. And he's like, do you want to know what he saw? <laughs> so I'm thinking, horse, the horse refuses to give birth. And when the vet sees the ultrasound calls the police, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, this is really intriguing. I've seen this for years. And one day I just decide I'm going to click to find out what this story is. Well, it was a big mistake. <laughs> because, I don't, how many of you seen that story before? You click on it and you have, it's like 50 pages but let's say less than a quarter of the page is the story. And you have to keep going next. Next. And then when you click next, you go to another page and it's like loads of ads. And then you scroll down, you see the story, like just a few paragraphs next. And it was so captivating, the story. I was reading, Rebecca was like, what are you doing? Because I was in bed. So she started reading as well. <laughs> so we're both like, when is this story going to end? <laughs> Because it was like, it, they were purposely dragging out the story, giving on unnecessary details. It was like, what's the point? Just tell us what happened, what happened. So I had to keep going. I don't know how long we spent kind of getting to the story. We go to the end of the story. I'm not going to tell you what the end of the story is. If you want to find <laughs> It's something silly. It's something silly. It's like there was a chip in the horse or something like that. And, you know, it was something strange. But it, it, the point is, I got to the end of that and I thought, I've just wasted a part of my life. Because I am impatient and I want to know the end result. And if I know what needs to be done, I want to do it right away. And you see, the way I kind of function is I'm a very direct communicator, in case you didn't realize. If you know me, you know this. So you don't have to guess what I'm thinking. Okay? So, you know, you hear about passive aggressive people that they say one thing, but you've got to have to interpret it. Okay, maybe they meant this. That kind of frustrates me. I'm like, just tell me what you really, really mean. Because I'm going to tell you what I mean. Sometimes I listen to people speak, and they've spoken for 20 minutes. And I turn to Rebecca and I say, what they've said in 20 minutes, I can say in two minutes. Because I'm like, so many words. I like, you know, I like proverbs. You know the book of proverbs? It's capsules of wisdom. So I like to receive the capsule, and then I can unpack it internally. You don't have to unpack it off of me. Just give me the capsule. I want, the point I'm making is, I am so impatient, I want to get everything right away now. But you know what I've realized? Things of the kingdom, it doesn't happen that fast. In fact, everything of lasting significance 
and impact. Everything of lasting significance in eternity, everything of lasting significance from God's perspective in the now, takes a lot of time. So it frustrates me. Now, I lead a ministry called Prayer Storm, and I'm saying that because some of you are in there, you can feel that frustration. That is why oftentimes you find prayer boring. Because prayer takes you through that place of the patience. It's not so much about the result as it is the process. So Jesus gave his disciples this command, go. All authority has been given to me, therefore go. You will think the natural response is, okay, now let's go. No. Then he said to them, wait in Acts 1. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Basically, don't do anything until... You've encountered something of significance from another realm that causes you to bring transformation in this realm. He's saying, what I'm asking you to do is impossible. And you are not going to have a quick fix. I'm not going to make it easy for you. I am going to cause you to go through a process of waiting until there is an internal change. See, this is the crazy thing. God works from the inside out. I don't want to be, see, many people want to just go out there and preach the gospel. And I want to do that too. And I do that to a certain extent. And I want to do more of that. However, I want it to be coming from the reality of what God has done in me. Because if you're not careful and you're an activist like me, you could end up becoming a salesman for a gospel you don't believe yourself. Because the gospel hasn't changed you. Now you're saying to everyone, this is the good news. In fact, I put it this way. If your Christianity is not working at home, don't bother exporting it. <laughs> so, 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 I'm going to say, I am all about, Lord, let it work in me first. So, my impatience, God has a specific process he's designed for me to go through to deal with that. And he had a specific process he designed for the disciples to go through in a way where they cannot fulfill the Great Commission without God dealing with things in them. And he, it's not like he deals with it and then he's over and done with it and that's it, the end of your, the rest of your life. It's a continual process. But sometimes there's a process that God uses to initiate you into his dealings such that it's not that God has a dealing with you and you go through a process of waiting in his presence and him doing stuff in you and then that's the end of it. Because you've been through it, it's like your flesh is educated in the process of allowing the Spirit to do His work in you. Let me just make it, let me, let me explain this way. The fact that I lead a ministry called Prayer Storm, and I like to gather people to pray, and I like to be in prayer meetings, does not mean every time I step into a prayer meeting, my flesh is screaming, yes, I want to be here. But my flesh has been through enough killing, <laughs> and enough of me saying, shut up, that it's now got accustomed to the process of me telling to be quiet. So I've been through that process and I'm still going to go through more of that process. So I'm, my flesh has got through the place where when we get into a space where we're going to wait and we're going to see God, even if it's difficult, I've got to the place by God's grace where I'm able to say to my flesh, listen, you're staying here. And you're going to engage, and you're going to wait, and you're going to sing, you're going to connect, because this is the pathway to encounter. I remember talking to some people recently, and I said, boredom is actually a pathway to divine encounters. 
Did you hear me? How many of you find prayer boring sometimes? Okay, my hand is up, by the way. <laughs> Your embracing of that boredom is God taking you through a process. The disciples had to go through a process. Now, let's just get some more scriptures in here. Luke 10, Jesus says this. This is before the resurrection. This is before he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. He says, in verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Okay, let's just pause there. In my logical mind, if a leader comes to me and says, we've got lots of work, but the amount of people we have to do the work are very little. If my heart is for that leader, I'm like, well, I'm available. So that leader should probably say to me, all right, you're available. Well, why don't you just come and join us? So Jesus didn't say the harvest field is plentiful. The laborers are few, therefore go. He didn't say that. That's like the natural response. You know what he said? Listen, the harvest field is plentiful. The laborers are few, therefore pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest, okay, that he will send out laborers. And then you know what the next word is? Go. So the people praying are not disconnected from being part of the laboring force. It's kind of like, I mean, if Laura is in need and Laura needs so much money, let's just say 50 pounds. And she comes to me and says, James, you know, I'm just really believing go for 50 pounds. And right there, my pocket is 100 pounds. I'm just, and I say to the Lord, you know what? Let's just agree in prayer that God would. <laughs> I've got it. Now, I could agree with her in prayer that God would not just bless her, but would do beyond that. And then I can be a part of the answer to the prayer. So what happens is God is saying, the, the need is so great to disciple the nations. There's so much work to do. I'm not wanting you to just get up as an activist and start working. I'm wanting you first to engage with prayer. Because when you engage with prayer, what happens is you engage with God's heart about the harvest. You engage with God's perspective about the harvest. So in reality, it's impossible to be a person of prayer and not be a person who loves the harvest. It's impossible to be a person who says, I want to see God, I want to pray, but not be a person that has a heart for souls. Because when you run into Jesus, you run into his desire for the lost. So he's saying, I want you to pray so that when you pray, something is going to happen from on high. He says in Acts 1, wait until something comes. Because when that spirit comes on you from on high, it now empowers you with another layer of import. It opens up the realms of possibilities. What your flesh can't do, you enter into a new economy in heaven where the Spirit is able to go beyond your words. Listen, the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached, he wasn't the best preacher ever. I, I'm telling you right now, based on the endeavor of gifting we have on the planet right now in the body of Christ, there are probably a thousand preachers right now that would out-preach Peter. So Peter's message was not based on his hermeneutics and you know, his, his exegesis and his ability to kind of preach effectively. How many, it wasn't based on any of that. He had been waiting. And so something had happened from on high such that now 
When he spoke, his words were not just natural words. They carried eternity in it, and it was infused with power. Someone say power. We will not advance the kingdom of God on the earth without power. And when I say power, I don't mean the man of power for the hour who stands up front and is anointed, lays hands on everyone, or the woman of power for the hour. He's like, everyone come and enjoy my anointing. I'm going to give you a word of prophecy and tell you what's in your pocket and what's in your bank account. And everyone will say, oh, wow, 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 man. No, no, we are called to be anointed and full of power. Every single one of us. So we're not called to be believers that settle for just going through the motions and coming to church to just receive so that we can just get through the week. I want to live in the fullness of everything God has ordained for me on the earth. And I know that connects to the reality of moving in the power of his spirit. In fact, to destroy the kingdom of darkness and advance the kingdom of God, you better carry the power of God. Because your intellect is not going to do it. So he said, pray the Lord of the harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send. So who's doing the sending? Who's doing the sending? Who's doing the prayer? We're doing the prayer. He's doing the sending. So we pray and then he commissions. And when we are sent, there, is, there are signs that follow those who are sent. Because we're commissioned from on high to go. But we're not just getting up and going. We are waiting for him to send. Now, you might say, well, that means I'm just going to see home and not really reach out uh, to the Lord because I just want to see home and, you know, wait until uh, uh, God empowers me with something. Listen, you already have the Holy Spirit in you right now. Now, the dimensions of empowerment we can have, and I'm going to touch on that in a few moments, but don't use the excuse of, oh, I haven't received the fullness of the anointing that God has for my life as something that is now an excuse for you to sit down and literally just be there and not be a voice for him. Listen to what he says here in Mark. If I can find this passage. Yes, Mark 13. And this concept here is uh, similar to what we see in Acts 1. Because the one who is doing the sending is the Lord, okay? But we're the ones that do the prayer. We, we're the ones that engage with him. He does the sending. We engage with him. Acts 13. Then he went up to, on the mountain and called to him. Okay, so, sorry, I, I gave you the wrong reference. Acts 3.13, that's what I meant to say. Acts 3.13, my bad. <laughs> He went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 that they may be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Did you see that? Their calling first and foremost was to be with him that he might send them out to preach. So they have been sent out to preach from the place of being with God. Now let's fast forward to Acts 1. Jesus says to wait in Jerusalem until they're endued with power from on high. Acts 2, power comes upon the disciples in a new dimension. By the way, just bear in mind, some of the passages we read, they already had a, de a degree of power because they did heal the sick before Acts 2. I mean, realize that. So these guys were not just doing nothing. These guys were already active in the work of the Holy Spirit. 
God was already using them to a certain degree. But they were now about to shift to a whole new level of impact. See, you've got to understand, it's not a case of we just sit back and, and, and do nothing until a big bang happens. We have to do something with what we already have right now. But what we have right now to be effective in releasing that, we have to be a people that learn how to first be with him. And from that place, we're effective for him. Are you tracking with me? So Acts 2, the disciples are waiting for this empowerment from on high. The reason why this is an important thing for fulfilling the Great Commission is the Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. We cannot make disciples of all nations without the release of power. But then the question comes, well, how do we transition like the disciples from one degree of glory where they, they, they did see God use them to heal the sick to a whole new degree where now they're going to be discipling nations? What, what is God calling them to? There's a difference between the disciples that were with Jesus when he walked to the earth and they saw him go away to pray and they said, teach us to pray. And then he gave them some power and then they saw some sick healed. There's a difference between those disciples in, in terms of where they were spiritually to the same disciples after Acts 2. Are you with me? So what is the difference? Well, the first uh, 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 experience the disciples had, they were living off of Jesus' relationship with the Lord. So they were being empowered, but it was based on the fact that Jesus was giving them power and they were saying some things happen. But in Acts 2 now, he was calling them to be the ones that were carrying the reality just like he carried it. And he modeled it for them. It's crazy because you see how Jesus prayed early in the morning, prayed late at night, and he spent lots of time doing these things. Uh, but then in the most important prayer meeting of his life, which is probably the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples that were healing the sick, the disciples that had received power from him, the disciples that actually spent some time with him, in that most significant moment, do you know what they were doing? So as a leader, if that was you, you're probably going to feel quite discouraged, thinking, wow, you know, I spent three and a half years teaching, equipping, modeling. And somehow in my most critical hour, my disciples, somehow I've not caught the essence. However, it's amazing. Jesus wasn't too discouraged. He just encouraged them to pray. Now, we fast forward to Acts 2. The seeds of Jesus' uh, obedience and lifestyle that he had exemplified in their presence in Acts 2 starts to bear fruit. Because now the disciples are not leaning on Jesus anymore in, in a sense of, uh, 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 they're, not, they're not leaning on the physical Jesus. They're, they're now trying to emulate and live out the example he, he had, the example he was before them. Are you with me? So this is what I'm trying to get you to see. The disciples that were with Jesus before the crucifixion and the disciples in Acts 2, there was a shift in their approach to engage in the presence of God. Many of us are in a place where we are still like the disciples pre the resurrection. And oftentimes that could look like disciples that come to Jesus when we need him to do something for us. The disciples that come to Jesus when he's given us some power and we've seen him move in some ways, but we often come to his presence when we're in crisis. Oh, we can't cast out this demon. Jesus, 
we need your help. So the motivator for their prayer life before the resurrection was mostly them coming to him because of needs. After the resurrection, there was a shift. They are now coming to him to wait and to be in his presence until he does whatever he wants to do. Now, there are many of you in this room, your concept of prayer is all about just coming to God to get. Now, it's not that that's wrong, but God wants you to shift. Because if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, we have to step into the mindset of the disciples as they understood it. And the way that worked out in their lives was they knew how to wait. And what I mean by waiting, I mean spending time with God for God's sake only. I mean, the content of your prayer life is actually a picture of your level of maturity in God. What is constantly on your mind when you pray? The disciples were spending time with Jesus for his sake. They weren't spending time with Jesus for anything other than we are wanting to wait until he does whatever he wants to do. Now, we know it took 10 days, but it could have taken 50 days or even 100 days, and they would still have stayed there just waiting. What kind of uh, uh, patience... (laughs) What kind of work has God done in them to the point where now his presence is the, is the end goal? He is the one they're seeking. Show me a Christian that knows how to pray intensely, consistently, without crisis. And I show you the person that's rightly positioned to handle the crisis when it arises. We want revival. To a degree, we have the revival within us, but there are also dimensions of that. The move of God we're crying out for, the the discipling of the nations that need to take place is going to have to have a deep revelation of what it means to be with God without agendas. And then we're going to add another element to it. We're fasting. Because you know what Jesus said? They came to him and they said, oh, John the disciples told his disciples, you know, how to, you know, fast, you know, but your disciples are not fasting. Jesus said, well, they're not going to find the bridegroom is with them. How many know this passage? Well, it then says, when the bridegroom is taken away, referring to himself, when Jesus, Jesus says, when I'm taken away from them, then they will fast. Do you know when that then was? He he ascended to heaven right in front of their eyes and said, you know, uh, actually an angel came and said, this same Jesus you've seen go up is going to come down again. It's a paraphrase. The physical presence of Jesus leaving them inaugurated the season of fasting, which is still going on right now. I meet many Christians that have never fasted before. Maybe you're here. Never fasted before. You think it's something for some super spiritual people. I want to say to you, Actually, it's an expectation for us as believers in our walk with God to fast. It's not something you do because you want a husband. It's not something you do because you want a job. It's not something you do because you want God to move in a specific situation. It's just something you do because you want God. So the disciples had it rooted in their DNA 
that fasting was one of the ways in which we wait on God. It's one of the ways in which we seek God. It's one of the ways in which we press into his presence. Now, fast forward to Acts 13. Acts 13. Let's turn to Acts 13. In Acts 13, we see something really interesting here where there is a shift about to take place in the body of Christ. Because Jerusalem has been like the headquarters of the church. And it seems like God is shifting some emphasis to Antioch, where there's now a lot of movement and things are are happening in Antioch. And prior to this, actually, let me just backtrack to Acts 11.25. Barnabas departed to seek Saul, um, Acts 11.25. And then it says um, in verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, so it was... For a whole year, they assembled the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were, this is where the disciples were first called Christians. So that's Acts 11, 26. So for a whole year, there's been a lot of activity in the early church. God has been moving and there's been a lot of teaching. In fact, the movement of the early church was so impactful that the whole region, everyone was hearing about God. I am conv- In fact, there's some parts of Acts where you read where it's clear that they met daily. <laughs> That's intense. And a lot, I mean, teaching every day and just prayer. And uh, prayer was not just a meeting. It wasn't prayer meeting. It was, they had a prayer culture. It, it was something they were doing every day. So these are, Paul is part of these daily kind of activities of ministry, right? So he's been doing this for a year. Everyone say a year. How many would agree that at this point, he kind of has a, a, a fairly a good relationship with the Holy Spirit? You know, God is using him to a certain degree. He is in ministry. We'll say, oh yeah, that's, that's a man of God. Now, fast forward now to Acts 13. Acts 13 says, now in the church, uh, there were certain, uh, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, and it talks about Barnabas and Simeon, and it talks about Nigeria, it talks about uh, Lysias and Cyrene, and a few names here. In verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, And now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So, this is a striking passage for many reasons. Like I said to you, Paul was already serving God for about a year. Well, more than that, but we know about a year we just read earlier on. Now, they decide as a company, we're going to just spend some time to fast and pray and wait on God and seek him. It's kind of like the similar kind of model we see in Acts 1. Okay, so they have encountered the Holy Spirit, but they're not settling because for us to be empowered for greater assignments and greater uh, accomplishments for the kingdom of God, we always need to come from a place of intimacy with God and hearing God and being empowered by his presence. So they had this as a culture. Now they got together and they start to fast and they start to pray. In my experience, when leaders get together, there's always an agenda. Maybe that's too harsh. <laughs> there's all, when leaders get together, like prophets, teachers, and there's like lots of them together, oftentimes, oftentimes or not, there's always a reason for the meeting and there's something we're aiming towards. But what we read here is there was no agenda. They gathered to fast and pray to minister to the Lord. 
So when they started the meeting, they had no idea what was going to happen. What happened after the meeting was completely different to what they probably had in mind at the start of the meeting. What I'm trying to say to you is, for us to be empowered to fulfill the Great Commission, we need to adopt a model in prayer that is not based on, on us coming to God for needs. Coming to God for just being driven by the crisis of the moment. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. However, I'm saying for us to see the kingdom of God advance, we need to incorporate a way of seeking God into our personal lives, into our corporate lives. And the great thing is we're already doing that to a certain degree here around church. However, we want to see God even do that more. We want to incorporate a way of seeking God that is just we're coming before you, God, to minister to you. We're coming to wait on you. We're coming to seek your face. You know the crazy thing about that? When you seek his face, you can't miss his mouth. Many people are just seeking his hands. So God is wanting us to be in the place where we posture our hearts to be with him for his sake only. Then in that place, the Holy Spirit speaks and says, separate Paul and Barnabas to me for the work. Everyone say the work. So the question is, what was he doing before that? It was, it was working, teaching. Now the Holy Spirit is saying, separate him, uh, him to me for the work. Because this was marking a shift in his ministry. This was marking a shift in his impact. The impact God was going to have through his life. This was marking a shift in that. In my walk with God, I've realized there are certain times when there is a shift in my walk with God. For example, um, 2007 is one, was one of those times. Um, I just finished university, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. So I decided that the right thing to do, as far as I understood at the time, was to fast and to pray. So I booked out... Um, there was a Christian, there's a Christian retreat place somewhere in Leeds. I, I booked it out for two weeks. Went there on my own, and I was just seeking God. Now, in all honesty, I wasn't praying about ministry. I wasn't praying about opportunities. I was saying, God, anoint me. I want to be the next powerful friend of God. I, that, that was, you know, my, I was just like, okay, God, I'm just here to seek you. Oh, and let me just demystify. There are times where I do that and nothing happens. Okay, so I'm not here to make you feel like, oh, you have to kind of do this thing and then all of a sudden an angel is going to appear to you and the voice from heaven is going to speak to you. It's going to be the most amazing. Time. There are times I go and pray and do exactly what I've said to you and nothing happens. Now, well, well, God, I, I created space for you. I, I created space to see you. And I know I've, I've sown seeds into eternity. I've made some heavenly deposits. And the days ahead are coming where I'm going to have to make some redrawals on that deposit I've made. So I don't care if I don't feel anything in that moment. I am just going to create the space. So I was there just, you know, just spending time worshiping, spending time praying, reading the scriptures, which really, just practically, because some of you might be hearing this going, what does it look like to actually spend time waiting on God? Practically, you know, you're like, you spent five hours praying. What were you doing? By the way, the disciples were used to spending long, long, long hours praying. So what were you doing all that time? Well, reading the scriptures, sometimes in silence, just waiting, sometimes having worship on, sometimes praying in tongues a lot, sometimes just sitting there and just thinking on God. 
Literally, a mixture of all the above. <laughs> and sometimes it's fully just praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. It, it, it's, it's more driven by the Spirit than just a formula. Let me just put it that way. Driven by the Spirit and driven by hunger and desire. So this is what I was doing for days on end. You know, and honestly, there's just one thing I came out of that season with. Now, it was a 40-day fast, which was a Daniel fast. There was one scripture that the Lord put on my heart, which actually now has become a foundational scripture for what we do. Joel 2.28. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, that scripture was stirring in me. And I couldn't really preach on it or teach on it. I just knew... As I was spending time with God, I was impacted with the reality of what he wanted to do in this generation. So I came away from there not thinking anything. Just thinking, thank you, Lord. I don't even know what I'm going to do in my life now. But at least I know you're saying Joel 2.28. <laughs> now, just fast forward. A few weeks later, I'm at the ramp. I'm at the ramp in Hamilton, Alabama for the first time. It was, uh, I believe it was July, probably June or July of 2007. Karen Wheaton gets on the stage and says, oh, there are a few young people here who have come all the way from Manchester. This was like a, this was a, a spontaneous, if you know Miss Karen, she's very spontaneous. In fact, I was telling some people recently, I went to the ramp uh, some years ago now, and we were just having a conversation. Oh, James, would you be happy to preach in the next 30 minutes? I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> Literally, like, you have to be ready all the time. She could just call. So it was one of those times when she's like, okay, there's a few young people here from Manchester, just come on the stage. And so we came on the stage, a few of us. And so she shared of this incredible experience she's had in Manchester. I'm not going to go into it right now because that's not the essence of my story. The way I'm going with this is, then as she's speaking, she says, oh, you know what? Just going to let him say a few words right now. So she passed the microphone to me. Now, if you're a leader, you know that's a dangerous thing. To pass the microphone to someone you don't know, you've never spoken to before, in a meeting you're leading because it could go anywhere. <laughs> so she gave me the microphone. I never knew that that Joel 2.28 from two weeks ago was all for a moment that would start a movement. When she gave me the mic, what came out of me? When I received an intimacy with God. When I wasn't seeking an assignment. I wasn't seeking opportunity. So as she gave me the mic, as I started to say Joel 2.28, the Lord says he'll pour out his spirit in all flesh. I felt this thing I can't even put my words in because I've never felt it since. It's like a mantle, something. I felt it because I knew when it was coming. It came from this direction and it was just coming. It just landed on me as I'm releasing Joel to 28. Next thing I know, I'm on the floor weeping and crying out to God for revival in Manchester. And the whole meeting just erupts in this wave of intercession for God to move in the, in the, in the city and in the nation. So in that moment, I felt like I was dreaming. Because it was like, how am I on this platform? How is this happening right now? But when I look back, I realize, actually, all of that came from just being with God without an agenda. By the way, that moment ended up resulting in what I do right now. It's been 13 years, still doing it. Where would I be if I missed the moment of fasting? Where would I be if I went into that prayer time and my agenda was, God, give me a husband? Oh, God, give me a wife. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. If I was a woman, let's put that if I, what, would, what, would, what, would, what would happen if the moment where God was going to plant his idea in my heart, 
I came into his presence with just my agenda. And I'm like, God, give me a spouse. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Because some of you in here, you're like past, you're like, you need to have had a spouse like last year or 10 years ago. So I'm not opposed to you praying that because you're desiring that. But I'm saying, don't let that be the fullness of the content of your time with God. Because he has things in his mind you don't have in your mind yet. And the only way that thing will get into your mind and produce fruit is if you come into his presence without an agenda. And in a place of fasting, he's able to drop those things in your heart. And you don't even have to understand it. He's going to do the orchestration. And then there's going to come a moment where you're going to realize, oh, wow, God plays that in my heart. Now it's bearing fruit. I wrap up right here. Listen. This is not something very hard to do. This is something that many of you already do, but oftentimes you do it in a public environment like this. I want to encourage you in two areas. Oftentimes we hear about times of fasting as a church that we'll have. In fact, even as a ministry, we've got a time of fasting, prayer storm coming up 21 days in September. There are different kinds of things going on that encourage fasting and prayer. And it's great to engage with that on a corporate level. But I want to encourage you to say, okay, Lord, what does fasting and prayer look like on a personal level for me? And how can I spend quality time with you that creates an environment for you to release something into my heart that is clearly of you, not of my imagination? You see, babies come out of intimacy in the natural and I believe things of significance from the, for the kingdom of God are birthed from the place of intimacy with God. Acts 2 started with them waiting on God. Acts 13, they're also now waiting on God with fasting. And then God brings an assignment. There are people in this room right now, you're so worried about what you're going to do next. You're so thinking, okay, God, how do I give myself? How do I focus? I've got these issues going on. How about you leave this service and you say, okay, Lord, I want to just create some space just to be with you. And Lord, you say whatever you want to say. And if you don't say anything, at least I create a space. And I'm still going to keep coming. So the two things I want to encourage you in doing is, on a personal level, create more of these environments for heaven to speak. But on a corporate level as a church, We've created several environments for you to engage. You know, before service, we have an hour of prayer from 9.30 to 10.30. It's just a space to come and engage with God. Lord, what do you have on your heart? What do you want to say? We're here to seek you. It's very simple. The only thing that will stop you from doing that, apart from the enemy wanting to distract you, is your flesh. You're feeling so distracted by that. Do you understand with me? As I wrap up, it is so, so easy, but at the same time, it is so, so challenging to keep this space alive from which God can impregnate our soul to speak spiritually and from which He can release His impact through us to change the world, to disciple the nations. The sad thing for many of us is there are no shortcuts to this. 
there is no quick fix. You've got to embrace that process. So I want to ask you this morning, if you want to make a fresh commitment to the Lord in seeking Him for His sake only, being with Him for His sake only, and allowing that to bring a change of perspective, a change of mindset, if you want to reset in that area, just lift your hands with me right now. And I want to pray over us as a church, as individuals and as a corporate body, that in this season, we will learn how to engage in the place of intimacy with God. Disconnected from the pressures of life. Disconnected from the distractions. And not that the distractions are not important. They are important. I mean, not that the, the, the needs and the pressures, God doesn't care about that. He cares about that. But I believe He wants to sometimes rearrange our hearts first. So that we see as He wants to see. So, Father, we lift our hands to You this morning. And we say, God, we want to embrace the secret place again. We want to embrace the place of just coming to You for Your sake only again. All we want, Father, is to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we sang earlier on in the worship, there is already a yes in our hearts. There is a yes for you. And Father, this morning, we want that yes to manifest in a space where you're able to come and say whatever you want. Do whatever you want and release your empowerment upon us that we will be agents of transformation to bring a change to the world around us.